Hello, America. It's time for Uncle Sam Says, podcast number 12, The Ride of Paul Revere. Oh, you're going to learn some things about Paul Revere that, that just aren't taught in schools today, and they ought to be. They sure ought to be taught in schools. Did you know that, that he was riding for their country long before the, the famous ride that he's got a poem written for? Why, he was part of the correspondence committees that were set up by Dr. Joseph Warren and, and Samuel Adams. And, why, he was riding 14 months before this ride. He took the word of the Boston Tea Party to New York, 214 miles. That's a long ride. But the colonies had to know. Boston was being treated as an enemy of the state. They had to know. And the writer to Boston was Paul Revere. So here you go, right from the radio show, Paul Revere. Hello, America. Listen up. It's time for Uncle Sam Says. Today I'm going to tell you about the great ride of Paul Revere. He was a silversmith and a great craftsman. He was a real artist, too. But more than that, he was a patriot. The story of that ride actually begins 16 months before he took the ride to Lexington. It started like this. A whole bunch of Boston businessmen were all worked up and upset because the British had brought three big shiploads of tea into their harbor and they were going to force them to pay a tax on it. It was taxation without representation and they were so angry they decided to do something about it. It was December 16th, 1773, right in the middle of winter. They disguised themselves as Indians and dumped all of it into the harbor. All 342 cases of it, and they were huge chests of tea. The British did not consider it theft or even vandalism. They considered it treason. Boston was blockaded and treated like an enemy. Word had to be taken to New York and Philadelphia. <laughs> well, that would have been a real problem, except... Samuel Adams and Dr. Joseph Warren had already created those great correspondence committees. They already had designated writers to keep all of the colonies informed. Their writer for New York? <laughs> Why, that was Paul Revere. He climbed on his horse and rode all 214 miles to New York and delivered the word. Now, he was still making these runs 16 months later, when the Boston Correspondence Committee discovered that the British were going to Lexington and Concord to arrest Samuel Adams and John Hancock. Paul Revere knew how important this ride was to, to warn those men, but to him it was just another day in the job. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, our own American poet, has immortalized the ride in his poem. And the best way for me to tell you about the ride of Paul Revere is to read you that poem. I'm going to do that right now. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. On the 18th of April in 75, hardly a man is now alive who remembers that famous day and year. He said to his friend, 
If the British march by land or sea from the town tonight, hang a lantern aloft in the belfry arch of the North Church Tower as a signal light, one if by land and two if by sea, and I on the opposite shore will be, ready to ride and spread the alarm through every Middlesex village and farm for the folks to be up and to arm. Then he said, Good night and with muffled oar silently rowed to the Charlestown shore. Just as the moon rose over the bay, where swinging wide at her moorings lay, the Somerset, British man-of-war, a phantom ship with each mast and spar, across the moon like a prison bar, with a huge black hulk that was magnified by its own reflection in the tide. Meanwhile, his friend through alley and street wanders and watches with eager ears, till in the silence round him he hears the muster of men at the barrack door, the sound of arms and the tramp of feet, and the measured tread of the grenadiers marching down to their boats on the shore. Then he climbed the tower of the old north church, by the wooden stairs with stealthy tread, to the belfry chamber overhead, and startled the pigeons from their perch on the sombre rafters that round him made masses and moving shapes of shade, by the trembling ladder steep and tall to the highest window in the wall, where he paused to listen and look down a moment on the roofs of the town, and the moonlight flowing over all. Beneath in the churchyard lay the dead, in their night encampment on the hill, wrapped in silence so deep and still, that he could hear like a sentinel's tread the watchful night wind as it went creeping along from tent to tent, and seeming to whisper all is well. A moment only he feels the spell of the place and the hour and the secret dread of the lonely belfry and the dead. For suddenly all his thoughts are bent on a shadowy something far away, where the river widens to meet the bay, a line of black that bends and floats on the rising tide like a bridge of boats. Meanwhile, impatient to mount and ride, booted and spurred with a heavy stride, on the opposite shore walked Paul Revere. Now he patted his horse's side, now he gazed at the landscape far and near, then impetuous stamped the earth, and turned and tightened his saddle girth, but mostly he watched with eager search the belfry tower in the old north church. As it rose above the graves on the hill, lonely and spectral and somber and still, and lo, as he looks on the belfry's height, a glimmer and then a gleam of light. He springs to the saddle, the bridle he turns, but lingers and gazes, till full in his sight a second lamp in the belfry burns. A hurry of hoofs in the village street, a shape in the moonlight, a bulk in the park, and beneath from the pebbles in passing a spark, struck out by a steed flying fearless and fleet. That was all. And yet, through the gloom and the light, the fate of a nation was riding that night, and the spark struck out by that steed in his flight kindled the land into flame with its heat. He has left the village and mounted the steep, and behind him, tranquil and broad and deep, is the mystic meeting the ocean tides, and under the alders that skirt its edge, 
Now soft on the sand, now loud on the ledge, is heard the tramp of his steed as he rides. It was twelve by the village clock. As he crossed the bridge into Medford town, he heard the crowing of the cock and the barking of a farmer's dog. He felt the damp of the river's fog that rises after the sun goes down. It was one by the village clock when he galloped into Lexington. He saw the gilded weathercock swim in the moonlight as he passed, and the meeting-house windows black and bare gaze at him with a spectral glare, as if they already stood aghast at the bloody work they would look upon. It was two by the village clock when he came to the bridge in Concord town. He heard the bleating of the flock and the twitter of birds among the trees. He felt the breath of the morning breeze blowing over the meadow brown, and one was safe and asleep in his bed, who at the bridge would be first to fall, who that day would be lying dead, pierced by a British musket ball. You know the rest. In the books you have read, how the British regulars fired and fled, how the farmers gave them ball for ball from behind each fence and farmyard wall, chasing the redcoats down the lane and crossing the fields to emerge again under the trees at the turn of the road and only pausing to fire and load. So through the night rode Paul Revere, and so through the night went his cry of alarm to every Middlesex village and farm, a cry of defiance and not of fear, a voice in the darkness, a knock at the door, and a word that shall echo for evermore. For born on the night wind of the past, through all our history to the last, in the hour of darkness and peril and need, the people will waken and listen to hear the hurrying hoofbeats of that steed and the midnight message of Paul Revere, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. <laughs>